Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is, let me get this right, uh, you work for a Russian machine, today's Slapshot, and then just the internet in general, right? I think that's about right. Yeah, it's uh, it's, a, it's my buddy Pat Holden. Pat, what's going on, man? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm excited to have you on. You um, you write about the Caps. You're a Caps fan. So we're going to spend a lot of time in this episode uh, diving into that series because it really is just packed with all sorts of intriguing goodness. But I think before we get there, I did want to discuss Bruce Boudreaux with you, who's recently unemployed. And... Mostly because you got to live the Bruce Boudreaux life for, I think, what, four, four and a half years there. And, yeah. and then you got to live a couple of years post Boudreaux with, with, with Dale oh, Hunter and, and Adam Oates before you got back into a healthy, loving relationship with a coach you could trust and Barry Trotz. So I don't know. I, I guess a good place to start is just why do teams still, and, and you got to kind of experience this firsthand. Why do teams still overreact so hard to four to seven game samples of unfortunate results? It's a, it's a good question. And with Boudreaux, it almost even boils down to single one game, game seven samples, right. you know, yeah. like it's, it's not like his team all of a sudden forgets how to play hockey and loses 10, nothing in four straight games, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, man, it's curious because the the main thing that it boils down to is is Anaheim going to get a better coach? Mm-hmm. And I I don't see I don't see the answer to that being yes. It's not like uh, anybody in Boudreaux's neighborhood, like uh, Babcock or Quenville, is walking through that door. You know, right? Um, so it's a it's a curious decision. Uh, you know, teams just uh, there's no over emphasis on. Uh, postseason success, especially in North American sports. And, you know, unfortunately, it's cost Boudreaux uh, two jobs now. Yeah. Well, I think the, the main argument, which I give a little bit of credence to, because it makes sense there's a human element to the sport, and it makes sense that after a while, maybe uh, the players in the room, have, his message has kind of worn off a bit, but that doesn't really explain why you know, they were such a dominant regular season team, especially in the final couple months of the season, and they were one win away from beating a really good Predators team. So, as you said, like, it would be a totally different thing if they just got completely blown, blown out of the water and got swept in four games, but they were so close, and I feel like 
we're putting a bit too much stock here into what a coach can and can't control, right? Like, I, I like I don't know, was he just not giving them a good enough of a pep talk before the game or something? Like, I don't know, like how was how is this reflective on his abilities as a coach that they just lost one game? Right. It's not. It's not as if he's out there giving himself, you know, subpar goaltending in game sevens. And if it's really boiling down to that, you know, there's something lacking from a motivational aspect. I mean, I don't know. It really, for me, I, when it's NHL players and you're talking about that, that comes down to the players. It's not, it's not like in, uh, in Miracle, like some coach comes in every <laughs> before every big game and has, and the difference is, does the coach give a good enough speech? You know, yes. like uh, it's, it's really come down to, Poor goaltending for him, and and I think to some extent, uh, no luck with pucks going in the net. Yes. But and I and the human aspect is a good point. Um, I think in Washington, while it was there was a large degree of um, PDO affecting the team's performance around the time that he was um, he was let go, there was there was some tension um, at times between him and Ovechkin. Right, uh, the team was floundering at times. They went to a trap style, you know, all that stuff. I think, I think there might be some, uh, you know, some credit to that argument in Washington, even though I, I, I still don't know that it was the right decision to let him go. But yeah, in Anaheim, you know, they were, uh, after they got over not, not being able to buy a goal for the first few months of the season and adjusted, they were, I mean, the best team in the league, arguably. You yeah. Know? Well, it's also, I, I think, um, we don't really know this for certain, but I feel like it's it's tough to differentiate between what the coach is responsible for in terms of tactics and approach over time and and how much of it is maybe meddling from ownership or from the GM, right? Like, I, I mean, in Washington especially, it feels like it would have made sense that after a few years of not getting the results they wanted that maybe he made those changes himself because he was panicking and he thought he needed to do something different to keep his job. But it's quite also possible that a George McPhee or a Ted Leonsis was like, Hey, you got to like change something here. Otherwise we're going to fire you. And then they wound up firing him anyways. And I, I don't know, like it, it, it's weird because ducks fans seem to be from my limited interactions with them online. They seem to really be all for getting rid of Boudreaux, uh, just like fed up with, with three, three years now of losing in the same sort of fashion. But in Washington, what was it like? And maybe has the perception of his time there changed now that kind of things are better than, than they were for a few years there and you've gotten a chance to kind of reflect in hindsight on what it was like? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly uh, the disastrous eras after Boudreaux in, uh, with Hunter and Oates definitely uh, opened some people's eyes to, oh, wait, maybe maybe this guy actually knew what he was doing. Right. Um, I think you'll always get the crowd that um, puts an overemphasis on a lack of success in the playoffs. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's probably still put, split between those people who um, – liked Boudreaux a lot and thought it was just some bad luck in the playoffs versus people who the bottom line to them is always going to be playoff success. But that being said, I think, I think in general people in Washington, um, even his detractors look a lot more favorably upon his time here after, uh, the um, not so good coaching uh, coaching reigns that came in after him. Yeah, I think uh, when you see that the grass isn't always greener, it kind of makes you g- gain a certain level of appreciation for what you once used to have. And uh, I don't know, it's uh, I, I I can't really see the Ducks improving here. Like there there are some intriguing names out there, and they could potentially it could be a somewhat lateral move. And they have so much talent on the roster that I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them make a long playoff run next year. And I think that's just because they have a really good team rather. Than 
than the coach kind of fixing something that Boudreaux was doing wrong. But it'll be interesting to see how people spin that. But uh, like f- for Boudreaux himself, I feel like it's pretty fair to say we're in agreement here that whichever team he goes to is going to become instantly better next season, right? Yeah, I mean, there's you know he's not taking the job of any of the coaches that are kind of in his uh, tier, so to speak, the upper tier of coaches. So yeah, I mean the coach that he's replacing whether you know is he's sure to be an improvement i would i would say yeah yeah there's some interesting teams out there with uh minnesota and ottawa and and calgary and i i would personally love to see a team like the abs bring him on because they could actually become good and entertaining rather than just <sighs> that'd be too easy but, but yeah it seems like they're uh, not going to do that and another team was the islanders that i pegged because i i picked the the panthers to beat them in round one and i thought that that would be a good move for their franchise moving forward just because maybe they could if they lost quickly they could sort of it'd be more palatable to get rid of Capuano and bring in a better coach but now that they're uh, advancing in the playoffs it seems unlikely they're going to make a drastic move like that yeah I think yeah I had the same thought when uh, as from a Caps fan perspective and somebody that's grown up in Washington and we you know the Caps play the Islanders my thought was man I sure I'm glad that the Islanders won in round one because I think that'd be a prime landing spot but that I mean that's a fun team that'd be a terrifying combination for uh, the Eastern Conference I think if Boudreaux if that uh, coaching spot had opened up obviously it's not going to at this point and you never know I mean he could always take a year off if there's not any vacancy that he thinks uh yeah, I mean, you know, works well for him. He could always wait till next summer well, um, when more uh, appealing jobs open up. Hey, I mean, maybe uh, I'm, I'm looking for a new co-host for the PDO cast. I mean, if, if Bruce, <laughs> wants to, Bruce wants to spend a, a year here kind of just palling it around with me, I think we could we could make that happen. He- he might be open to it. Yeah, throw some feelers out there. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get the Penguins Capitals. And we're recording this on a Saturday afternoon before they've actually played the game, too. So we really only have one game to work off of. But I think if it was any sort of indicator that it's gonna, this is going to be one heck of a series, I think. It, it was so much fun. Game yeah. one was so much fun, wasn't it? I mean, just no matter what team you're rooting for, whether you don't follow either team it was just so so much fun hockey um and I, re- I really didn't understand the national broadcast um on nbc sports network here you know they were very critical of the game said it was sloppy hockey missed assignments all those i mean i saw it as some of the best offensive players in the game getting to do their thing um yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to miss assignments when you're playing at such a rapid pace, right? It's just right. tough to keep up if you're a defenseman, I think. All right. I mean, when, you know, when you've got, uh, you know, Malkin, Kessel, and Crosby on three different lines mm. and uh, Backstrom and Ovechkin line followed by a Kuznetsov line, I mean, there are going to be some missed assignments when so much of the forward ice time is being taken up by guys who can just make you look silly, even if you're a decent defender. Yeah. So, I mean, the one big takeaway I had, I mean, there were a couple of takeaways, but the first one that I had was it was interesting to see that the two teams were just going power on power. And I guess that's more in, in, in Trotz's wheelhouse because he does get to kind of dictate the, the final matchups. And he was comfortable going with Baxter and Ovechkin against Crosby's line. It seemed like for the most part, and then having Kuznetsov go up against that Kessel, Hagelin, Benino, speed line uh do you think that's something we're going to see moving forward um it will trot certainly has done that all season um the power versus power and he did it round one against the Giroux line mm-hmm. um so i don't i don't expect him to change it um and sullivan there was a quote after one game one where sullivan acknowledged the the matchup and said he was totally comfortable with it and didn't feel the need to get away from it so we'll see if he's comfortable 
you know, he's comfortable with, you know, not trying to get away from it. We'll see if he actively tries to go after it, I guess, once game three, when he gets the last change. But uh, certainly from Trotz's perspective, I think he's going to try to keep going with that matchup. He's done it um, for a while now. And generally the, the Niskan and Alsner pairing out there with them uh, in the playoffs, it's worked pretty well for them so far. Yeah. Well, I mean, just matching up with this Penguins team seems like a little bit of a nightmare because when they when they spread out the wealth like this and they really have three lines that could realistically score any single time they're on the ice, it's it's tough to sort of uh, put all your eggs in one basket and try to stop one guy. Like, obviously, Crosby's still arguably the best player in the world, so it makes sense that you'd want to focus on limiting what he's capable of just because he can make everyone else so much better around him. But it, it's tough, right? If you if you focus so so much so on that then oh yeah Evgeny Malkin's also still really good at hockey as we as we saw he can score a goal pretty easily and and how good Benino's playing with Kessel all of a sudden it's just it's just a nightmare to match up with him yeah I mean I think with those three guys spread out and you know Bonino and Kessel doing so well together it, it's a potential advantage for the Penguins um the cap second line hasn't produced yet in the playoffs the Kuznetsov line um they did pretty well possession wise in the in the first series. They weren't they weren't so good in game one. We'll see what happens in game two. Um, but I think there's some definitely some matchups there for the caps or for the pens to exploit um, mm-hmm. with those three guys split up. Yeah, well, I think it, it it might just sort of seem obvious to say this, but I really think in this particular series, whichever team's forwards or, or I guess coaching staff is able to take advantage of the secondary defense pairings on the other team will really go a long way towards determining the winner because we already saw in game one that the, the, the Niskan and Alsner pairing and Latang and, and Matta were just... We're, we're logging such heavy minutes and obviously going, uh, well into the first overtime played a role in that. But I think it's, it's pretty obvious that those two, uh, individual pairings will be playing quite a bit. And if you're able to exploit the, the Lovejoy Cole pairing or, or even, I, I think the, the, the Orpic Carlson pairing for the, uh, for the Capitals can really be had with certain matchups. And I think the Capitals themselves would not like to see Brooks Orpic having to deal with, uh, with Carl Haglin and Phil Kessel too many times coming in on the wing off the rush right yeah it, it'll be interesting to see as they go through the series who um trots uses with his four how he uses his forward and d pairings together because he often operates with five-man units not exclusively but mm-hmm. um keeps it pretty close with it because yeah that the carlson orbic uh pairing can cert- there they can certainly go how their forwards go so to speak you know um and then so they can be exploited at times and then the third pairing has uh has had some bumps lately for sure too yeah, it it definitely has. Um, it was speaking of that third pairing. Uh, it looks like uh, Dmitry Orlov is going to be scratched for game two, and I, I imagine a lot of it has to do with that uh, glaring missed check he had when he tried to hit Benino and collided with his defense partner, and it led to a goal against. And it's certainly not the first time he's found his way into Trotz's doghouse by do by trying to force the issue and do stuff, whether it's with the puck or or trying to throw his body around, but. I don't know, like, I still think that if you view it all in a big picture sense, the positives he brings to the table certainly outweigh the negatives. And especially when you compare him to a guy like Taylor Chorney or Mike Weber that really, for all intents and purposes, don't bring that many useful attributes to the table. I I just find that to be a kind of a curious move. Yeah, Orloff is certain, you know, when he makes a mistake, you know it. (laughs) And when he makes good plays, you know it. Where, you know, it's, whereas, you know, Pairs like Niskanen and Alzheimer, they're they're pretty steady. 
they, they don't make a lot of turnovers. They don't make a lot of flashy plays either where they take the puck end to end. Um, and in, in general, over the long haul of the season, Orloff has definitely been a net positive for the team, no doubt. Um, you know, he's been, he was their best possession player, you know, best uh, goal differential, all that at five on five among the defenders for most of the season. Um, but lately, um, you know, he's, he's had the glaring mistakes, but he's also the underlying numbers have dipped too. Um, and so, and so he hasn't gotten a save at five on five. It seems like since March too. So all those, those three things together, um, you know, obviously I think he brings more to the table than Taylor Choney, but I think the, the decision at this point is understandable with so many glaring mistakes over the past six weeks or so. And then the underlying numbers, uh, have dipped too. And the, the uh, puck luck <laughs> making every mistake uh, all the more glaring when it ends up in the back, back of the net. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. And listen, Trotz isn't the only coach here. I, I think pretty much every single coach in the league is very susceptible to this sort of stuff, especially this time of year where you really want to try and not beat yourself and, and you don't, you want to limit these sort of glaring mistakes. And they're very easy to latch onto and point to as the reason you potentially lost the game or the series swung. And we see these coaches kind of um, gravitate to a more conservative either style or player. And I think that, I think that's a shame, but I understand and why it happens. Yep. And, and, you know, in the end, I do disagree with the decision to take him out, but I'll give Trotz credit that there have probably been since, I don't know, the beginning of March, probably five or six plays like the play in game one where he could have sat Orloff over, over a play. So, you know, while I think it's a little risk averse, um, a little more risk averse than I am to take him out of the lineup because of the mistakes he's given him, he's given him a pretty long leash in terms of how I think most coaches would have handled those big mistakes from a young uh, risk-taking defenseman. Mm. All right. Uh, we've we've made it 17 minutes into the show without discussing Tom Wilson yet. So <laughs> I think, uh, think we got to get to it. Um, Let's I don't, do it. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know where to start. Where, where do you stand on, on the right, uh, so, Tom Wilson experience? All right. So you can tell me if, you know, I am too colored by, yeah. you know, by growing up in the D.C. area. All right. So – First of all, the hit in game one was garbage. Yeah. It was it was a bad hit. Uh, he he said that he was trying to do you know trying to do like a bluff hit and kind of mistimed it. Was mm-hmm. trying to just kind of juke him and mistimed it. Okay, um, it was a bad hit. Um, and you, regard, and, and he, regardless of his intention, and, and he knew it was a bad hit because as soon as it happened, he instantly looked around waiting to get jumped. Right, like he definitely yeah. knew he did something bad. <laughs> It, it and it almost looked like he wanted to apologize. He looked like he wanted. Like, <laughs> right. I've, yeah, he he looked uh, he looked like he had that oh shoot look on his face, like he knew he had done something wrong. Right. And you know, it, he's had plenty of reckless hits in his career. He's had plenty of unnecessary hits in his career. Um, I think some of them, I, it's fair to call some of them dirty. I the comparison that popped up on my Twitter timeline a few times that night was to Rafi Torres, which I. I I think that's way over the top. Right. I think that's way over the top. You know, not that the Department of Player Safety gets it right all the time, you know, but the guy's never been suspended. And, you know, like I said, that's not necessarily barometer. But there's no way they get things so wrong that a guy as as Rafi Torres has never been suspended. You know, right. um, there were numerous hits this year where if kind of his reputation seemed to uh, – a give him no benefit of the doubt, and B have people come down harder on the hit 
um, in terms of public opinion than they need to. You know, he had, I think it was, he had a hit, I think it was against Lazar, um, where he got a match penalty and then it was rescinded. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a hit on Campbell, Brian Campbell in Florida in the year. We got a five-minute penalty. Uh, I thought it was maybe a two-minute boarding penalty. So, you know, he definitely walks that line. He doesn't do himself any favors with the way he plays, but... And he's had plenty of unnecessary, maybe dirty hits in his career, but I, d- I don't think he's in the Rafi Torres uh, neighborhood in terms of how he plays. Is that, is that too Homer? Well, no, I, I agree in the sense. I listen. Rafi Torres had a, had a career of of uh, a career long list of of very questionable and and you know not even borderline, just legitimately dangerous plays. Uh, Tom Wilson is what he's been in the league for for three years now, and he's twenty two years old. I think. Uh, I don't know. He could very easily, you know, cut this part of his game out or at least cut it down a little bit and actually start focusing more on playing hockey because it does seem like he has, um, he has, he has skills, right? Like it's not like he's just like a, He's he's not really like a Ryan White type out there that's solely out there to try and inflict damage. Like he's actually has some capabilities as a hockey player, which is what makes it a little bit disappointing. Where. He, you can sometimes see him. He's like just circling around on the ice, and you can sort of see the the wheels turning in his head, and he's just like <laughs> looking. He's like, it's like he has that. Um, he has the angel on one shoulder, and then the devil on the other shoulder, and he's like fight, having an internal <laughs> battle with himself, trying to decide what what he should do. And it seems like more often than not, the devil wins out, and and he. He definitely like uh, he's walking a fine line. I'd say is is the is the best way to put it. I think that's that's totally fair, and he, and he's crossed the line. He has crossed the line, no doubt. I just don't think he's crossed the line and as many times or as egregiously as people uh, like to think he has. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I like this year from him is that he cut his fights down, right? I think he had, mm-hmm. he was like way in the double digits uh, two years ago. And this year, he still had a handful, but it was it was much more palatable. And that was good to see. Uh, I, I, the weird thing for me is looking at his numbers is you would think a guy like that at this point um, – would be able to use some of these skills to his advantage in terms of suckering other teams into penalties and really helping uh, the Capitals out in that regard, especially since they do have such a dominant power play. That would be a pretty useful weapon for them. And uh, I'm looking right now, and he's he's a minus nine in terms of penalty differential, which strikes me as a little bit surprising. That's career or this season? Uh, this season. Yeah, yeah. This season, he up until this season, and even in the early goings of this season, he... He was generally um, above even in penalty differential. Um, but then at some point this season, that that kind of uh, stopped. And he, yeah, I didn't realize he didn't end up as low as minus nine. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, he, he, he's a detriment to the team at that point if he's doing that. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think hopefully he can kind of learn to channel his, uh, his rambunctious uh, – manner a little bit, you know, and be a better asset to the team in terms of drawing penalties. Um, I think the offensive side of his game, it's still up in the air, whether that's going to develop or not. And to, you know, to be fair to him, I don't know that he's been given the line mates to develop that, but he was asked to play in a bottom six role as a penalty killer this year. And I think, I think he was decent at it. Um, his penalty killing was, was good. It, it was the first time he's been given extended time on the penalty kill. And I thought, I thought he did well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if he can, if he can actually become or or maintain a, a positive penalty differential moving forward, like even if you disagree with some of his tactics, that's a legitimate weapon to this Capitals team. So I'll be interesting to see if uh, if he's able to do that moving forward. Um, 
I don't know. Is there is there anything else about this team that you wanna you wanted to get to? I know I know you uh, are the number one Andre Burakovsky fan. So uh, I mean, a, 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 uh, I was really happy to see Burakovsky uh, scoring game one. He he didn't he didn't do much in the uh, in the first round, um, and I really thought that this playoffs might be kind of a coming out party for him, and it still might be because uh-huh. I think I think he really gets overshadowed on this team. Uh, I don't know if people realize how good he actually is. Um, well, especially, I mean, especially he, compared to his kind of developmental curve and his age range, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think sometimes his counting numbers are a little low because he doesn't get a lot of power play time. I mean, this year, Jason Chimera was on the penalty kill. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, the power play mm-hmm. um, and not Burkowski, which is kind of nuts. But, you know, I mean, at 5-on-5, five five, since he's coming to the league, some guys that he's got a higher points per 60 then, you know, Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, Ryan Johansson, you know, those are all young guys who are considered some of the better young players in the league. And Burkowski's outpacing all of them over the two seasons he's played at five on five production. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a heck of a player. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, he definitely has been overshadowed and I think deservedly so. I mean, this team has some of the biggest, biggest, biggest stars in the league. So it makes sense that a, a 21 year old who's really just kind of slowly coming into his own and maturing as a player will will take some time for at least uh the general fan who doesn't necessarily follow the capitals closely to pay attention to but no he's a he's a heck of a prospect i think um let's uh so i guess the big picture takeaway question that i have for you here to to wrap up this discussion on the caps is let's say they lose to the penguins here in this in this round um do you think there's going to be any sort of uh hammer to fall from that and any big changes this summer or do you think they're going to realize that listen they were had a, a dominant regular season and they won a round and unfortunately they lost to a, a really good team in the second round or or do you think that there is going to be some uh overreaction theater here again no i don't think it'll be an overreaction um i it, because you know it's the penguins um and i think those in the organization probably realize that the Penguins and the Caps are the class of the East. And if you go out to them in a hard-fought series, you know, oh, the, you know, unfortunate, but oh well. Um, and I think, you know, Brian McClellan has been on record kind of saying that this is their two-year window. Because uh, they have a, <laughs> after next season, they have a whole mess of contracts to deal with. Right. Um, so, you know, I think they'll stay the course. I mean, I could see him doing, you know, not huge moves, but, you know, like a smaller big move, I guess. Um, you know, like Marcus Johansson is a restricted free agent after the season. If they can't see locking him up long term, I can see moving moving him for, for a new piece to bring in. You know, that's about as big of a thing as I could see them doing. I don't see them, you know, like moving out Nick Backstrom or, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or anything crazy like that. I think... I think uh, that this is their two-year window, and next year you're going to see a pretty similar team um, to what they have this year, regardless of what happens in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess I'm, uh, I'm looking at their general manager page right now, and I, I guess they're even if they really did want to overreact, there isn't that much they could do. It seems like most of the foundational pieces here are, are sort of set in stone and locked in. Yeah, yeah, there's not there's not going to be a lot of turnover. Um, which I think is good. I mean, they were a pretty good team yeah, this year. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they did okay. They did okay. So, um, you know, the same team back and Kuznetsov a year older, uh, Burakovsky a year older. You know, I think I think they'll be right in the thick of it again next season. Um, are you uh, are you are you keeping a 
you know, obviously you don't want to, you know, get ahead of yourself here and, and all those hockey cliches. You got to take it one game at a time and one series at a time. But are you, are you kind of keeping a, keeping your eye out on that other Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference series going on? I've, I've watched, I've, I've watched a little bit of the other, the whole other East side of the East. I've watched a little bit of, but I've, I've honestly mainly watched a lot more of the West. I find the hockey a lot more entertaining. Yeah. Um, that's not a knock on the, uh, on the other teams in the east but i mean the west is so much fun to watch yeah i mean did you see that um the the stars blues game yesterday the game one was 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 was, fantastic and it was it was a great example of you don't necessarily need goals to have entertaining hockey because for the longest time it was it was scoreless but it was you you wouldn't even know i mean it could have it may as well have been like a four three game just based on the chances they were they were changing back and forth there's the first siren of the podcast oh there we go yeah there we go. I mean, I'm actually a little side note. I'm right by a main route that emergency vehicles use too. You know, in a major city, but I haven't I haven't had any come by yet. That's what I'm trying to tell people, man. I'm I live right beside a bridge. It's not necessarily a sketchy area or anything. It's just that it's uh it's the most convenient path for for ambulances and fire trucks to come by. Uh, but people just seem to uh, not be buying that excuse, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I, full, I fully support you, and I, I experience it uh, at least a few times a day and a couple times at 3 a.m. a week, too. So, <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think uh, I think we, we, we covered everything we wanted to for the most part. Is there anything we, we missed out on? No. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we could go on for days about uh, Tom Wilson, but, mm. you know. No, I think, I, think, I, think we, I think we did that discussion justice. <laughs> No, I, think, I don't think a single bottom six forward in the league generates as much discussion as Tom Wilson. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but uh, yeah, man, well, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, do you want to plug some stuff now? Um, where can people check out your work and, and your Twitter and all that jazz? Uh, so most of my stuff is on RussianMachineNeverBreaks.com. Mm. I've um, heard of that I, website. Have you? Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think I've seen your – I think you've gotten a byline there. I think a couple times, um, yeah. Yeah, we, we've we've allowed you a couple of times, I mm. think. Um, I do a little bit of stuff on today's Slapshot. Um, my Twitter is at P.F. Holden. So, you, mm. you know, that's where I do my stuff. Excellent, man. Well, I, uh, I recommend everyone checks out your work and follows you on Twitter. And uh, let's get you back on the show sometime here in the near future. Anytime you want to have me, I'm here. Cool, man. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Before we get out of here, I just want to remind everyone listening that it'd be greatly appreciated if you could take a minute out of your busy day to leave a rating and a review on iTunes for the show you just listened to. Uh, obviously, I'm hoping it's going to be of the five-star variety and that the comment will be a positive one, much like many of the ones we've received so far. But it's also a good platform for you to leave suggestions and recommendations for how this show can get better and improve. And I'm always open to the idea of helping the show grow with whatever changes are necessary. So anyways, it's a, it's a quick and easy process for you. And for me, it goes a long way towards both getting this podcast higher ratings and and bumping it up the charts, but also making sure I can keep doing this thing on a consistent basis moving forward by uh, keeping my bosses happy. So thanks again for listening, and we'll be back later in the week with what will hopefully be another jam-packed episode of the Hockey PDO Cast. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.